Good morning, everyone. It's hard to believe that I'm actually up here teaching and speaking, but this is an opportunity that God has, has given me, and I want to be faithful to His Word and, and share what He's put in my heart. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a privilege, and uh, for those of you who have never spoken in, in front of people, you know, do realize that, you know, you should pray for your pastors, because it's a lot of work to uh, prepare a sermon and, and to be used by God in, in, in this ministry, so... Um, God is good. He's faithful. He provides. He gives strength and energy and, and uh, vision. So he's good. God is good. My sermon today is called The Mark of a Disciple. You can't really see the text there because it changed in the formatting, but um, it says, Abiding in Him and Bearing Fruit. It's based out of John chapter 15, verses 1 through 8. And uh, before we get there, have you ever had friends over and you're visiting in the evening and then it's time to go home and then... You get up and you go stand in the kitchen for another 20 minutes and you're still chatting away because you're having a good conversation, right? And then you go to the front entry and you're still visiting because you're having a really good conversation. So I think some of the best conversations happen late at night and it's with, with friends. We've had friends like that and, and they just kind of, you know, delay at the door and, and you're visiting. You've got a really deep conversation. Jesus in, Matthew, or in John chapters 13 through 14 and 17 um, the section of scripture is called the Upper Room Discourse. So it happened in the Upper Room where the, where the Last Supper took place. Jesus was with his disciples. He had the Last Supper. It was a very deep and meaningful conversation. He shared with them things that would change. He would no longer be present with them. He'd be gone. He shared with them how they would cope. He would send them a comforter. He would send them the Holy Spirit to be with them, to guide them in their journey. So we come to the end of chapter 14. If you open your Bibles to John 14, the last verse is there. It's interesting. It says, verse 31, Arise, let us go from here. So that's, this is after the Last Supper. They've had this conversation, and Jesus you know, says, Okay, guys, time to get up. And the next destination was the Garden of Gethsemane. It was a trek through the city at night through the Kidron Valley. If you've been to Jerusalem, there's a valley that connects the city of Jerusalem, the old city, to, the, to Gethsemane. And they would have gone through that and go meet in the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus would face his last battle, the, his battle in prayer, and he would be victorious there with the angels helping him. So that's what's, that's what's next. So Jesus, after this conversation, conversation, says, Arise, come, let's go. But looking at the, at the text, it, it seems like nobody's moved. They're still just sitting there because you know, the conversation goes on. And so as, as Jesus is there, he, you know, they, they, they must have been, there's either one of two choices. One is they would have possibly sat there and kept, you know, kept the discussion going. Or two, they would have had this discussion as they walked through the city on the way to, to Gethsemane. Um, in either case, there's potential uh, that they would have seen a symbol of some kind, a, a vine or, or something that, that prompted Jesus this, to speak on this allegory of the vine and the branches. Work today? Oh, there you go. So let's read in John chapter 15, verses 1 through 8. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, 
you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And like the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this is my Father glorified, that you may bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. That's the word of the Lord. It's an interesting section. Jesus says, I am, I think I said the vine, but it should say, I am the true vine. In the Greek, it's actually literally, I am the vine, and then in brackets, it says the true. I am the true vine. So, in the book of John, we have, we have seven statements that Jesus makes. They're called the I am statements of, God, of, of Jesus. We'll do a quick little sword drill, Bible trivia here. I need you to name all seven of the I am statements of, of Jesus. Who's got one? Just shout it out. I am? The way? The way the truth and the life? The light? The bread of life. Another one? It's the healer. The good shepherd. Before Abraham was, I am. That's also very good. Anybody get the door of the sheep? I am the door. It's another one. So this is the last of the statements. I am the true vine. And so when somebody says there's a true vine, that automatically begs the question, well, if there's a true vine, is there then an alternate or a false vine or a bad vine? Um, And yes, I am the true vine. In the Old Testament, the nation of Israel is called the vine. Um, Let me just look up my references here. It's my text. Psalm 80, verse 8, talks about Israel. Um, It says, Israel was plucked out of Egypt and planted. Israel is my vine, plucked out of Egypt and planted in the promised land. Then in Jeremiah 2, verse 21, Israel became a corrupt vine bearing bad fruit. So we do have a picture of a, of a negative side, a, a, a bad vine, an untrue vine. So Jesus is saying, as compared to what God's plan was through Israel in the Old Testament, you know, they were my vine, but they've, be, they've become corrupt. I am the true vine. So no longer look to Israel as, as the vine of God. I am the true vine. Now, when you think of the word vine... I had to do some, like I've often read this passage, it's like, you know, and, and you kind of, you have to kind of recalculate in your head what is a vine and what is, what is a branch, because in, you know, I'm a farmer, and the crops I grow, we, you know, we have beans, we have peas, they, there's a stem, and then the vines are attached to the stem. You know, you know what I mean? Like, it's, it's, I'm the vine, you're the branches, how does that quite make sense? But in the, in the word picture we have in the Old Testament, the vine is the structure. Let me show you a picture of this. this is called the vine. So it is the, the stem, the, tr- the trunk of the tree that comes out of the ground is called the vine in, in, in vineyard terms. So it's a little different than we're used to. So it, it's, it's the trunk. It's the source, the supply for, for all the, you know, the fruit that grows. So Jesus says, I am the true vine. The interesting statement about the I am statements. You know that in the Jewish faith, the Jewish religion, the statement, when you said the words, I am, it was a very serious thing. It was a sacred word to them. Um, 
And that saying came from the, the, in Exodus chapter 3, when Moses asked God, so you're sending me to Pharaoh, but how do, I don't even know your name, because God hadn't revealed his name until that time. And so God said to Moses, my name is I am that I am. I am who I am. And so it's very interesting. Um, when Jesus, in those seven I am statements, when he said those, the Jewish leaders would pick up stones and they were ready to stone him because he was equating himself to be God. It was that serious. So when Jesus says, I am the true vine, he is here talking in private in the context of his disciples. There's no problem. But if he was with the Pharisees, this would have been a big deal. They would have, you know, been an uproar because he's, again, equating himself with God. So I'm not a vintner or horticulturalist. So I went to Google and I learned a lot about grapes and grapevines. It's very interesting. I have a grapevine at our house. We inherited it when we bought the place. So I didn't know a lot about pruning and things like that. So we have this... Um, I'll show you. It looks sort of like that. It's some kind of a monster bush that's just there. So as we go through this, the text, we will see what, uh, what, uh, what Christian life entails and what pruning and all those things sort of mean as far as fruit bearing. So we have had some grapes out of it. You have a couple little bundles here and there. You have to kind of search for them, and they're there. You find them. So, so the first thing I learned when I did, did my research is that the vine is actually the, the, the stump, the, you know, the, the trunk that, that brings the, the fruit. Second of all, the vine, the vineyard, and a vine needs a vine dresser. So Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. So a vineyard is work. You can't just put it there and you know, come back two years later and you've got a crop of, of grapes. A vineyard has, has, has vines and it has vine dressers. My father is the, is the vine dresser. In the Greek, it's actually just the word, the farmer or the caretaker. But in the context, it makes sense to call him the vine dresser. Uh, the Greek word for, for farmer is actually the word George, Georgias, is the word, is a caretaker of the ground. That's where the word George comes from. So now you know when you meet somebody named George, he's a farmer. So in Greek. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it, that it may bear more fruit. So we have the vine, and we have branches. And we have some branches that bear fruit, and some don't. What I also learned is, on, on the vine, as the branches come out, the first year they're there, they don't produce fruit, but the second year they'll, they'll produce fruit. But the third year they don't. So all the ones that have served their purpose, they get taken out. They get pruned. I think some other bushes are like that too. If anybody's into, you know, raspberries, things like that, they only produce fruit on the new stem, something like that. I need to learn a lot more about that, but some, something to that effect. So, to to get maximum production out of a out of a vine, a grapevine, there needs to be a lot of pruning. So you cut away the dead brush. You take away that which doesn't bear fruit. You prune it so that it bears more fruit. God the Father is the most kind and caring vine dresser. He knows his vineyard. He takes care of the branches, and it's twofold. It's removing the dead brush and pruning the, the, when there's too much. The caretaker immediately knows which branches are dry and dead, which branches bear no fruit, and there's only one action to be taken. The dry and dead branches are removed and discarded so as not to rob resources from the branches that do produce fruit. So dead branches can also harbor disease and pests, which will will harm the healthy branches. Secondly, God, the caretaker, knows best how to prune healthy branches so that they will produce more and meet their maximum potential. 
Pruning involves removing shoots when they become too dense. When they're too close together, they become too much weight on the branch, as well as the grapes produced are small and not tasty. With the right amount of space, leaving room for sunlight and sufficient nutrients, a well-pruned branch will produce a bounty of grapes. So that's the, that's the job of the caretaker, is, is to prune, cut away the dead brush. So this is just to give you context of, of, of what, you know, we're not, this is kind of foreign to us, right? But this would have been pretty common knowledge to the Israelite people. They would have seen vineyards, they would have been very familiar with the process. Then Jesus goes on to verse 3. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. So in the context of pruning and, and clearing away dead brush, he's talking to his disciples. He's walked with them for, for three years, spent time with them. He's, he's you know, um, I going to say accosted, but he's, he's challenged them on things that, that, they were, that they were wrong in. When they had issues of pride, they were seeking their self, seeking honor. Jesus addressed those things. There's a lot of pruning and teaching that went on in their lives. So Jesus says, you are already clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. It's interesting, it's the word. The word is what, clean, what cleanses. So David Guzik, in his commentary on this passage, says, the word of God is a cleansing agent. It condemns sin, it inspires holiness, it promotes growth, it reveals power for victory. Jesus continues to wash his people through the word, as in Ephesians 5, 26. And quoting uh, the author Tenney, he continues, that means, the means by which pruning or cleansing is done is by the word of God. It condemns sin, it inspires holiness, it promotes growth. As Jesus applied the words God gave him to the lives of the disciples, they underwent a pruning process that removed evil from them and conditioned them for further service. As disciples of Jesus, we too must be willing to be pruned. Pruning hurts. Sometimes it's our pride that gets hurt. Other times it's those things that we value deeply that are removed because they are a hindrance to the fruit that God wants to bear through us. Even good things can hinder growth and fruit production in our lives. And because God loves us as the caretaker of the vineyard, he will allow us to go through those things. He will do those things for us because he loves us. Verse 4, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I think this would be the core of the entire passage, abide in me. That is the crux of the entire um, message. If you don't have that, you have nothing. I was going to bring a couple of dead branches I picked up at home just to show what a, what a disconnected branch looks like, but you all get the picture. You have a dead you know, branch, leaves all drooping, and it's not connected. There's no life in it. We need to be connected to Christ. We need to abide in Christ. Our source of strength and joy and power for service to God comes from Him alone. There's nothing that you and I can do on our own when we're not abiding in Christ to serve Him. This is the first command in the scripture. So far we've just had you know, lessons on, on, on vine, uh, vineyards and vines. Here's a command. The command is to abide. To abide also means to remain, to stay put, to be stationed, to be planted. David Guzik again states, When our Lord says, abide in me, he's talking about the will, about the choice, the decisions we make. We must decide to do things which expose ourselves to him 
and keep ourselves in contact with him. That is what he means to abide in him. Also think of the verse in Psalm 1, many of you probably have that memorized, but it says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he does meditate day and night. This verse here says, He is like a tree planted by the streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither, and all that he does he prospers. That's abide. He's planted. He draws its fruit, its resources from God from the word of God, from God himself. What's your delight? What are you feeding on? Are you abiding in Christ? Do you draw your energy, your source of strength, your joy from him? Are you committed wholeheartedly to one cause, to Jesus Christ? Abide in him. And the promise is, he will abide in us as well. The command is to abide in me, You abide in me, and Jesus says he will abide in you. It's a two-way thing. The word abide also carries the connotation of rest. The branch, in the example of the grapevine, is not commanded to toil and labor to bear fruit. You know how we, as humans, like to put a lot of effort into things sometimes, you run this way, run that way, try to produce things and try to get things done. I'm, I'm guilty of that. You know, you know. We, we're toiling and laboring, doing a lot of things. And, and sometimes I wonder if God is in, in all those things. To abide means to rest. Am I resting in God? Am I at peace in God with what he's doing in my life? When we're connected to Christ, the fruit bearing will happen naturally. We have the vine and we have the branch that comes out. The branch does nothing. It just, it just serves as the purpose of God to bear fruit. It's effortless in the, in the sense that the, 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 it abides in the, in, the, in the trunk, in the vine, and the fruit just comes. The energy given out by the, the vine is such that the branch cannot but bear fruit. Be connected. Abide in him, and you will bear fruit. That's it. So there's no command to bear fruit. I can't tell you to go and bear fruit, do these and these and these things, but I can say what the Word of God says, abide in Christ, abide in Him, and you will bear fruit. It's interesting to observe also that the trunk, the vine, never produces fruit. On a tree, apple tree or whatever, you have your main trunk. There is never fruit on the trunk. If there is, it would be a really strange scenario, but there's branches, and out of those branches come little branches, and that's where the fruit is. Jesus has chosen us in a very mysterious way. He is the trunk, he is the vine, but he needs us as his people, his church, to do the fruit bearing. He provides the strength, the energy, the source of joy, all the nutrients and sustenance needed to bear fruit, and he bears his fruit through us. Isn't that interesting? It's, very, it's amazing, I think. It's a partnership. God with his people to do his work on earth. We cannot bear fruit without him, and he has ordained that he will not bear fruit without us. Does that make you feel important? We have a purpose in life? We do. Um, and about the, the branches, the, the sole purpose of a branch of, of a, an, on a vine, on a grapevine, is to produce fruit. That's all it does. It has some leaves and it produces fruit. There's no secondary purpose to a grapevine, grape branches. They are, you know, in Ezekiel 15, if you want to read it, read it, it talks about the uselessness of a grape branch. 
It's just good for nothing. You can't manufacture anything. You can't make a nail out of it. You can't make boards out of it. There's no planks. It's a brittle, useless thing. And it gets thrown away and burnt. And so just like that, the only purpose that, that we have for God is to, to bring glory to Him, to bring fruit, to bear fruit for Him as the grapevine. The branches are, produced, are created solely to produce fruit. Verse 15, verse 5, Jesus repeats himself, I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. It was important enough that Jesus had to repeat this twice, repeat it again. I am the vine. It's not us. It's not Israel. It's Jesus. Jesus is the vine. He's the source. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So not some things or just the small things or a few things. It's nothing. Unless you are born again in the Spirit of God and connected to Jesus, you can do nothing for the glory of God. In fact, Paul says in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 2.14, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Without Christ, we can do zero, nothing. With Christ abiding in us, we can do all things because he strengthens us. It's Philippians 4.13, right? With Christ, we can do all things. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. The key word here is abide. It's going to come over again and again. I think it's used 10 times in, in this section from 1 through 15. Abide. What does the word mean to you? To, to me, how, how am I abiding? Am I spending the time to read the Word of God, to know the Word of God, to have it living, dwelling in me? Do I spend the time in prayer, seeking God's will, seeking God's faith, face? Do I know God because I spend time with Him? It's interesting in um, Acts 4.13, um, the apostles had been sent out and, they, and they'd done a bunch of, a bunch of stuff, and it was the, the apostles were, they were unlearned, ignorant men. They were not educated. They were kind of the nobodies. They were fishermen, kind of the lower class people. But it's, it says in Acts 4.13, I'm just going to look it up here quickly so I can read it. Acts chapter 4, verse 13. Now, as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were marveling and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. That's key there, having been with Jesus. Have you been with Jesus? Have you been abiding with Jesus? Has he been your strength, your, your comfort, your source of joy and strength through the storms of life? Do people know that about you? They see you at work. And they know this guy's different. He's been abiding with Jesus. That should exude from us. Verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown to the fire, and burnt. Picture of dead branches in a fire. Very, you know... Common sense, that's what happens to dead branches. It's kind of a scary thought, though. Who is he talking about? If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away. So he's talking to his disciples still. So if anyone does not abide, 
Does that mean you can choose at some point to abide and at some point not abide? Are there storms of life that come around and that your, your branch breaks off and you're no longer connected? What does he mean? I think there comes a time through much neglect and if you don't pursue God, you're not abiding in him by choice and you're, you've got your pursuits on other things, you're not following him, that sap stops flowing and you become a dead branch. Let's not be those people. If anyone does not abide in me, it's, it's, it's the only work we have is abiding. It's seeking God, searching him out and, and spending that time with him. It's a very intentional choosing not to abide. How final are those words? May you and I abide in Jesus so we're not of those who get thrown away as useless and dry branches and burnt. Adam Clark, the commentator, writes, of those who don't abide, one, they are cut off from Jesus, having no longer any right or title to him or to his salvation. They are withered, deprived of all influences of God's grace and spirit. They lose all their heavenly unction. They become indifferent, cold, dead to every holy and spiritual word and work. They are gathered, they become, through the judgment of God, united with backsliders like himself and other workers of iniquity and being abandoned in his own heart and Satan. And then they're cast into the fire, separated from God's people, from God himself and from the glory of his power, and then burned, eternally tormented with the devil and his angels, with all those who have lived and died in their iniquity. Pray God that this may never be our portion. And so, can I take some theology out of this? We, is, is this meant to be a theological statement? I don't think so. But there's a lot of you know, division with different people, groups, you know, or different sides of, of the eternal security thing. And what I want to say with that is, we should never live in fear of losing our security with God. We, our job is to abide in Him. We seek Him. We live for Him. Our salvation is sure. It's secure in what He has done. There are seasons of drought and dry spells we go through, and we wonder, am I still saved? But it isn't your works that are going to unsave you. God has saved you. And so when you come through those times, it is good to question, to search the Word of God, see where am I at? Am I still abiding? Am I connected to that vine? Am I still following God? The, the, it is unhealthy. And if there's, a, if there's a struggle is there, you don't know if you're saved, become born again. You know, search God and pray to Him and, and, and ask Him to, to forgive you of your, of your sins and your wandering and your backsliding. Recommit your life to Him. You, you can never go wrong. And so, um, like I say, this is not, not meant to be a theological statement, but I just do want to say that, you know, we should not live in fear that if I have sinned or if I feel dry or feel empty that I'm no longer saved. But if you feel that you are not connected not, and not growing in your faith, then search God and, and do what you can to, to grow back and, and to, to regain your vitality, your life. God's will is that his people, his church, be fruitful, to bear fruit and bring much glory to him. The only reason branches exist is to bear fruit, like I said before, to utilize the nourishing sap of the trunk or the vine and produce fruit. So in a sense, you cannot be a believer without bearing fruit. If you find in examining your life that there's no fruit, it's very clear you're not abiding in Christ. If you find yourself disconnected from God, spiritually dry and hungry, cry out to Jesus. He's there. Get back in the word of God. Pray earnestly and ask God to restore your spirit to his and renew your vital relationship. As a child, you will go through seasons of pruning in your life. You may look like and feel like this bare 
trunk, this bare vine, but abide. The life is coming. It's there. Some years your life feels like that. You go through seasons of it's just dry and you feel like you're not doing anything. But you know what God is doing in your life? He's building your structure and your roots for the time that's coming where you will flourish. I have personal experience with this. You go through several years of you look back and it's like, it must have been somewhat you know, depression and, and you know, spiritual depression. You feel like you're not accomplishing anything. You're getting nowhere. You're not growing in your faith. But I look back now, and I know that God was there. God was, was doing things. God was growing my faith. God was establishing stronger roots for the time that would come later. So if you feel like this today, hang on. Just abide. The time will come, and you will bear fruit. Verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it shall be done for you. Wow. Sounds like you can just pray whatever you want and your prayers will be answered. That'd be pretty awesome. Do you want your prayers heard? Abide. Abide in Jesus. Fill yourself with his word. Let them abide, live in you, reign in you. When your relationship with God is right, you may ask him what you desire and it will be granted you. Jesus says that. We will also only pray what is in line with his will. Our prayers will not be self-serving or contrary to the will of God. Do you believe this? Do you have faith? Do you have faith in God enough to ask him your heart's desire? Is your heart's desire aligned with the will of God? Ask. But we must believe in faith and not doubt like the Apostle James says. James 1, 6 uh, through 8. But let him ask in faith, not with doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that's driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not assume that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So ask in faith. Verse 8, last verse here. By this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. That's much fruit. Baskets and baskets of fruit and grapevines hanging, loaded on, on clusters of grapes is much fruit. That is God's will for your life, to be, to be living a productive life, producing things of the Spirit in your life. As children of God, our highest calling is to glorify God. Many of you will know the first question and answer in the Western Catechism. So the question is, what is the chief and highest aim of man? And the answer... I heard that. To man's chief and highest end is to glorify God and fully enjoy Him forever. That's it. That's the sole reason that God created man. That we would glorify God. And how do we glorify God? We glorify Him by bringing fruit. Notice the words are not a command. It doesn't say bear fruit. The, command, the only command we still have is to abide. The fruit bearing is, is the result of abiding the relationship with God, abiding the connection of one branch to the source of vital nutrients, the vine. God is glorified and honored when, your, when out of your life and mine flows an abundance of fruit. Now, what do you mean by fruit? What kind of fruit are we talking about in our lives? So we are, we've talked about physical you know, grapes and all these things. We understand that. Plants produce fruit. Apples, apple, apple trees produce fruit. Uh, farmers grow things and they produce grain. And, and so... What fruit are we talking about? What kind of fruit comes out of a disciple? 
Matthew Henry, in his commentary on this, on this passage, says, From a vine we look for grapes, and from a Christian we look for Christianity. This is the fruit, a Christian temper disposition, a Christian life and conversation, Christian devotion and Christian design. We must honor God and do good and exemplify the purity and power of the faith we profess. This is bearing fruit. The disciples here must be fruitful as Christians in all the fruits of righteousness and as apostles in diffusing the savor and knowledge of Jesus Christ. I also think of the fruits in Galatians 5, the fruits of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There's no law against such things. It's the Word of God. These are the attitudes and qualities that will naturally flow out of your abiding in Christ. Out of these qualities will come actions and a lifestyle that glorifies God. Our focus should not be on the tangible, visible fruit, but rather on abiding in Christ and allowing him to work through us in bearing fruit. Another quote from Adam Clark. One of the problems in the church today is this endeavor of forced fruit. Now, you should be going doing this for the Lord, and you're going to be pushed into all kinds of activities not really directed by the Spirit. And this can come, become a worthless expenditure of energy unless God is behind it, and God is guiding, and God is directing it. Unless you're abiding in Him, you cannot bear fruit of yourself. You cannot sit down and say, now, this is what I'm going to do for God this year. And these are the projects that I'm going to endeavor. This is my plan that I will do to fulfill this goal. That bearing fruit that God desires is the most natural thing that can happen to you as you abide in Christ. It's a natural function. And so, abide in me. You can't bear fruit of yourself. So be wary. And this is something I have to tell myself as well. The important thing is to abide. Let God do the fruit producing. Make yourself available. Allow yourself to be pruned, to be shaped and molded by God, and let God produce the fruit in us. Think of the story of Mary and Martha in Luke chapter 10. Now as they went their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at Jesus' feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and so she went up to him and said, Lord, you don't care that my sister left me to do all this serving alone? Tell her to help me. How many times are we like that? I think we do the same thing, right? But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. Abide. Mary sat at Jesus' feet. She was abiding. Did, was there work to be done? There was a lot of work to be done. And Martha did the work. But the important thing at that moment was a special time with Jesus. Mary sat at Jesus' feet, connecting with him, hearing his teaching, abiding in him. And Jesus commends her and says that the one thing, that one thing cannot be taken from her. In your life, you can, you can fill yourself with activity all life long. Those things can all be taken away from you. You can farm, you can have a construction business, you can have anything, it can be wiped out. You know what can't be taken away from you? The abiding. Your relationship with God. It's yours, between you and God, that nobody, nothing, no circumstances can be taken away. How about you and I? Are we so, so preoccupied with the external, day-to-day -day rush events and circumstances that we neglect the more important thing? Am I abiding in Christ? 
Is the fruit of my life flowing from an abiding relationship with Jesus, or am I forcing fruit to keep appearances? Let's remember that Jesus is the vine, the true vine, the only and vital source for strength to live for God and bear fruit for his kingdom. Proof of our discipleship rests in our abiding in him. That is one of the marks of a true disciple. We abide in him. I trust that the Lord will use this passage to encourage us in our walk with God, to prioritize abiding in Jesus above all else. And out of that abiding relationship, we will bear abundant fruit for the glory of God, our Father. That's the end of our text, our, our message, and I hope that's been an encouragement for you. I don't know if there's ever been a sermon preached that hasn't been, been preached to the, to the preacher himself, but this is definitely something that, that uh, touched me, that God is speaking to me about, and I pray that as we meditate on this, that God will speak to your heart, your spirit as well, and encourage us to abide, to spend our time in abiding in, in him, and that he will bear fruit in us. So let's bow our heads to pray. Lord Jesus, our Heavenly Father, thank you that you are a loving and caring vine dresser, a caretaker of our souls, of our lives, Lord. You love us, you care for us, to the point where you're willing to prune us, to take out dead branches that don't belong, that don't bear fruit. Another verse says that you're, because you love us, you chastise us, Lord, and we, and we thank you for those times. And we just do pray for anyone in the congregation, in our midst, here, um, and online, who's going through a time of pruning right now, would you give them just the, the diligence, the long-suffering, and patience to endure, and to know that this is ultimately for their good and for your glory. Father, we, just, we love you, and we just want to dedicate our lives to you, Lord, and I pray that you would give us an earnest desire to seek you, to abide in you, to focus on that in our relationship with you, and not all the external crazy day-to-day -day things that we would pursue and rush about and, and, and not find the joy and satisfaction, Lord. Thank you that you are the true vine that gives us all that we need for our strength, our energy, and our joy, Lord. Thank you for the joy it is to serve you and that you work through us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.